Welcome to Drinking During Business Hours, where we have interesting conversations over a great bottle of wine. Drinking is optional. So sometimes my guest doesn't drink and they just watch me drink. That's fine too. I'm Sarah Halstead, your host. Support the show by subscribing, following, liking, and reviewing our episodes. Check out my website, Sarah J. Halstead, for my latest stand updates and social media links. Hey, 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 everyone. Hi. Welcome back to Drinking During Business Hours. Thank you so much for checking back in. And if you're listening for the first time, hey, welcome. Per usual, it's a beautiful, beautiful day here in sunny Los Angeles, not a cloud in the sky. And we're in the basement with no windows. <laughs> and there's no place we'd rather be. Hey, Rich Chesler. Sarah Halstead, nice oh, to be here with you. Oh, it's, it's, uh, didn't I wake up with you? You did wake up with me once again. And, and here you are. And here I am, still, still next to you. Still. Four hours later. We have uh, a pretty great wine that we're drinking right now. We have a beautiful bottle now, of wine. Now, you selected this wine today. Today, I did. I pulled this wine today. We're drinking the 2019 Foley Johnson Estate Cabernet, which, uh, of course, is part of the Foley family wine portfolio. They do a nice job. They do an amazing they do. job. They do. And, and this particular cab is uh, it's drinkable now, and it will be drinkable later. Yeah. This mm. has got aging potential. It's got a little tannin in it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, mm-hmm. It's a Rutherford Cabernet, so you know the fruit is going to be really opulent and rich. It, it, oh, that's well said. Really opulent in the also nose. Good, good with a straw. If you're, oh, if you're, if you okay, wine, hand, me, hand me a straw, will you, John? Yeah, oh, please. hey, speaking wait of John, a there's our wait guest a second. Today. Why, hello. Hey, hey, John saying what? Our Hi. guest today what? is a. Uh, How did this happen? He, well, we got very lucky. I've known him for a good many years, and he you said have. he would come down. Our guest today, we are very lucky and very thrilled to have. He is not only an accomplished stand-up comedian, uh, he's an accomplished actor, graduate of Tisch, Tisch School of the Arts, uh, and he also is the host of an extremely popular and successful Sirius XM show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're very pleased to welcome John Fugelsang. The Thank one you and both. only. Thank you. Congratulations, by the way. Are we talking about your personal life? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we why did, not? Yeah, hey, I think we, it's great you're adopting. I think it's wonderful. When I first heard the news, I yes, thought, yes, yes. Okay, you know, uh, Nigeria and China at the same time, kind of, kind of gutsy. You know, but I'm glad and, you guys are doing you it. You know, and hopefully, there a little bit of a tech whiz can help us with the social media. Also, doing <laughs> like like adopting while marrying while you're both having gender transition. That's I think it, it's just thank a very you, brave choice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we really are coming out in every capacity. And then the conversion to Islam. So it's a busy month all around. It, it'll be a busy month, but you know, I it's figure- It's great that you're part of each other's midlife crisis, though. Right. I think that's lovely. Calendar everything, set a couple uh, reminders yeah. on the phone. I just, I I res- any comedians that can date, I respect, because I just, I, I, I it's, it's, that's, I, I tried sleeping with a female comedian once, and, you know, she gave me the light. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, That happened to me when I tried sleeping with a female comedian. Oh, wait a, wait a second. second. Wait, no, it's, coming uh, out. You know, it's We're coming out. people ask about it, and they're like, how does that work? Can you guys, make-? but- First of all, we're not going out for the same things, clearly. So we're never going to be up for the same parts. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, we is that really, sexual or you mean acting? No, literally <laughs> in acting, you know. But There's no really, competition. We really don't have yeah, any We're not ego. out for the same thing. Yeah, yeah we're, we're not, not going. We're not trying for the had, same parts. We may have the same objectives. <laughs> yes, but. yes, but we're not going for the same parts. Okay. Um, but we really have no ego about it. You know, yeah. the thing is we'll go do shows together and afterwards we'll give each other notes. That's great. You know? Yeah. I welcome his notes. Yeah, I can tell. 
<laughs> but I mean, Sarah, you know, you're such a great comic and such a wonderful person. And Rich means so well. You know, he's punctual. <laughs> he's like every guy's best friend. You know, I just, I, I see how it works. How did, how did you two meet? How did this happen? I don't know how we met. How, how are you two friends? Doing comedy in L.A.? Probably. It yeah. was it okay. Yeah, probably doing stand up in L.A. All right, yeah. doing stand up in L.A. That's it. And you are now. So and how also, you... Rich was a was a uh, a Bob Dylan fan. Um, the kind of Bob Dylan like. There's Bob Dylan fans, and then there's guys who could end a marriage. They're such fans. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. well, that's how I feel about John. his Grateful Dead CD collection. We, uh, so yeah, yeah. We, John and I do share a love of uh, Bob Dylan, which is awesome because John's uh, New York apartment in the Village is right around the corner. So it's on they, the same block. From where they shot the album cover. It's on the same block oh, as his first cool. apartment. Right. His first ever apartment with Susie. And we, then, yeah, the, the iconic freewheeling cover is we right shot around the, right around the corner. Yeah. yeah. I and see couples there like recreating that. Yeah, they do. Time. Every time you walk around that neighborhood, you literally see people standing outside Dylan's old apartment. And which, by the way, I think I think in the book, they said he was paying $26 a month yeah. for that apartment in yeah. like 1966. Yeah. Now you those were the days. Yeah, it's cost more than that just to get your mail. <laughs> so John, uh, Rich, and his bit and his stand-up, he says that he's from Pussy, New York, otherwise known as Long Island. Ah, uh. <laughs> uh, how does that make you feel? I, I don't know why he's going so easy on it. Um, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I was raised on the Isle of Long. I lived out yes. in what we call the Butterfugo Belt. Okay. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, oh, what is that? A book that would make for a good hat on you. And that yeah. was sort of what my childhood was like. So, yeah. Uh, where, where did you born and raised? I'm from Jericho, lovingly referred to as Jewico. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. I, I was born in Bohemia, which um, <laughs> is the, in the Guinness Book for the most ironically named city in America. Right. Um, if you know what Bohemian means, you're the Bohemian. It's where the uh, the pigeons go to die and then move to Stony Brook. <laughs> yeah, Stony Brook is where I knew you grew up. Yeah. That's a little further out than me. Not it's that pretty far. far out. Yeah, it's yeah. Pretty far out. So when, when did you catch the entertainment bug? Did that happen in your childhood? I was 11. Okay. And I got my first paid acting job at 11. Mm. And uh, I was like, okay, suddenly Atari's not that interesting to me anymore. By the time I was 12, I was in my first production of Shakespeare. And I was spending all my time around adults. I was in a production of Hamlet. And I spent most of seventh grade with grownups at night rehearsing. And it was just like life went from black and white to color and uh mm. and that kind of that kind of oh that's really yeah, beautifully said that's yeah. really uh and you know and so you you ended up not really leaving from there you you knew that you wanted to pursue drama yeah well i i i knew that i wanted to have a very diverse career i wanted to do a lot of things that's always been my thing is that i i, I like I, I want to be old and have said i've done lots of crazy You've different stuff done so. more than Several lifetimes, I've, what I've, a typical person does in several yeah. lifetimes, I would have to say. I've done a bit. Uh, I mean, check out his wiki. It's pretty It's all pretty over the extensive. place. It's all over the place. But it's you know, amazing. Uh, you know, I've, I've done stand-up for the troops, and I've done off-Broadway solo theater. I've been killed on CSI. I've been picketed mm -hmm, by Westboro mm -hmm. Baptist Church. Right. I've done documentaries for PBS. Uh, I, I think I was in Coyote Ugly for a minute. You were um, in Coyote Ugly. I hosted America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh, that's right. I I. I done CNN. I've been a regular pundit on like MS. I've, I've, I've even been on Fox news several times. Um, did you, didn't you also do a stint on into the night? Never did that. I thought you did. A I guest hosted later oh, a couple times. Later, on NBC. Right, okay. I did that a, a couple times. And, right. uh, oh my God. Some yeah, red carpet of, stuff. 
I, yeah, that I that I, we don't really want to mention. Didn't like that very yeah. much, but I did it to see what it was like, and I hated every second of it. Yeah. And then you know, um, yeah, I've done like, I mean, syndicated shows, and I've done pop culture things, and a lot of politics. And um, so you're you're a renaissance man when it comes to the entertainment industry. <laughs> like you've done every single category that there I, is. No, there's just, a lot I mean, still. I've never just done about never done no theater. I've never sung scat. I've I've got a lot of things I want to still. Okay, you know, okay, yeah. tap dancing perhaps. Tap or, dancing. Okay, yeah. maybe yeah. just Learn a couple things bone. on the things to-do list. Yeah, exactly. Now, how you're very recognizable, but how, as other people, I, people I'm mistaken for KD Lang. Well, I, and I, uh, well, that's a huge compliment. It's, and way. I don't have to wax wow. on those days. It's great. Yeah, wow. And, she's and, really hot. Well, I can get into all the she. great bars. <laughs> I know. How dare you misgender somebody? <laughs> I, you lose the nerve of two me. woke points. Uh, but how annoyed do you think Eric Stoltz gets when people stop him on the street thinking that he's you? That never happens to Eric Stoltz. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No, I always got. I, just... I always got. Uh, Katie Lang, half the cast of Friends. Um, <laughs> I used, to, used to get a lot of Matt the White when I was younger. Matt the White, I got all the really? time. Matt LeBlanc, all the time. Wow. One time, I signed an autograph. Fuck you, Matt LeBlanc, and I handed it back. That's very. And funny. I looked nothing like Matthew Broderick. I got all the time as a kid. I looked nothing like these people. Right. But, you, you know, were, we white guys all look the same. Yeah, you know, you <laughs> That's right. dark hair, white Wait. skin. It's got to be somebody famous. You didn't have to leave New York, though, because everything you wanted to do is right there in the heart of the, I mean, it's the best, most exciting city in the world. I mean, and, and now you're bi-coastal, right? So you have both, I mean, both best of both worlds. Yeah, I, 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 I love it out here. My my son and, wants to move out here so badly because we lived here for a long time before we had a child. Oh. Um, so I was I was mostly based out here for a number of years. I came out here to do uh to do a primetime um show for ABC year, years back, uh, America's funniest home videos. I right. did. It was supposed to be for half a season, one of being for like two seasons and I stuck around a bit. Uh, <laughs> but I moved back to New York a few years ago when my my dad was uh was in failing health, so we we moved back east. Okay. So uh, but I still come I'm out here all the time. Hear. I still vote here. Um, you know, still Excellent. registered, I'm registered, still come out here as often as I can. And nice. I missed it a lot. I mean, I did two whole years of not being in LA and my running joke was that I, I left food in the fridge <laughs> and <That's hilarious. laughs> we finally, we came back in February for the first time and I had left food in the fridge. It was really nasty. Oh, well, I have uh, you know, nothing rich when I eat nothing. Yeah. I'll eat, as long as it's not too tough, moldy, I'm good to go. Tough stomach. This uh, one. No, but you know, I mean, the place you have in New York city, having been having stayed in your apartment several times i it, it's a magnet i mean it draws you you have an incredible place in the village with some of the best views i don't i live in harlem now i don't well, i know up top <laughs> well oh, yeah? that's where you well, guys are but I, have, I still have my i still have my bachelor pad because i'll never let go of it never so I, I bought that place in the 90s yeah as a foreclosure it was Ooh. really cheap it right was in, i tell people it was insanely cheap and i just i can't ever let go of it it's and you shouldn't it's, it's like a floating hotel for west coast comics and all my southern family when they come up yeah. to visit so yeah, and I'm up in Harlem now. Yeah, I now that I didn't know. Oh yeah, I mean I, I love had, Harlem. I love Harlem. It's great. Yeah, and there's some of the restaurants, some of the best restaurants in the city are up there. And the whole like, I I never really knew the north portion of Central Park. It's amazing. Like, I mean, it, it's woods and hills, and and there's it's no really beautiful. There's no tourists. Only yeah. I mean, bird watchers. Oh. That's it. And oh, like, I didn't know that. There's chipmunks. I never knew there was a freaking chipmunk in the city in my life. They're, pretty cute. They're all in the north end of the park. You know, oh, how nice. My cousin Lewis uh, Stadlin now lives in Harlem. He's at like 116th Street oh, and nice. loves it. Yeah, it's it great. Absolutely loves living up there. Do you find that, um, that the uh, difference in, you know, the cultural community adds to your 
your joy of living up there? Is that one of the things that you find attractive about living in Harlem? No, uh, my wife wanted to move. That's what I, that's, that's why she, that was, she was done with living there where we were living and, right. and she found a place she liked. So, uh, Something not, more quiet. I'm, I'm like in South Harlem. It's this area called um, Manhattan Valley. Right. Mm. I've lived in the city my whole life. I never heard of a neighborhood called Manhattan Me neither. Valley. It sounds like before. an oxymoron actually. Well, <laughs> Manhattan, Man- Manhattan means um, the land of many hills, mm. but the only people who know that are the Lenape Indians and guys who ride bikes. So um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, they should call it the valleys. I'm trying to get right. them to change it to just the valleys. Right. Cause it's all freaking hills. I mean, I'd like, wow. if I did this move and I don't have calves of steel by the end, like you wouldn't know, but it, it's, it's cra- riding a bike is horrible. It's, it's yeah. Nothing, but, but it's, it's nice. It's, uh, it's very different from anywhere I've ever lived. And it's sort of like every neighborhood at once is coinciding. You'll see wealth and poverty, every kind of uh, ethnic background and age group and um, artists, Love that. And, you know, hustlers and crackheads and, you know, you need that. rich people. Yeah. Makes, so yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's it makes it that, flavorful. Yeah. It makes Manhattan, Manhattan. Yeah. No, I, get to walk, I, I walk my kid to school now before he was riding on the back of my bike and just right. staring at the back of my head. So now we, we walk and, you know, <laughs> explore our crippled relationship that way. And, and so he, so your son, how old is your son now? He is 10. Okay. Yes. Perfect age. That's so fun. No? Okay. I mean, you're a little old for it, but I can talk to you. I I love, love, love kids and that, you know, before they become teenagers, before they become little assholes. Well, I've, 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 (laughs) I've preemptively taken care of all that. See what my, my plan for parenting was, I'm going to tell my child, I've been telling him when you become a teenager, you know, you're going to be embarrassed of mom and dad. Right. Everything we do is going to rub you the wrong way. We're going to say the wrong thing. You're not going to want your friends to see us. You're going to be so annoyed when we talk and give you advice and try to give you a lot. I'm just letting him know. So when he reaches that age and it starts to happen, he'll be so mad I was right. He'll be nice to me out of spite. (laughs) That's my parenting model. That's very heavy reverse psychology. Thank you. Well, I actually write uh, articles for reverse psychology today. You ever read that magazine? It's great. You would love it. Actually, it's not for nah, you. It's not, not for you. you. It's not good. Yeah. You, I, I, I oh, so should. now what? Now no, I gotta go I, read I, it. I, I, no, no, I, don't, I don't want you to read it. It's no, now not I'm for going you. to read it. Subscri- it's for other people, Rich. Send it to your oh, mom, it's, actually. It's a magazine for other people, Rich. Oh, you. no. Now I have to go read it. <laughs> hey, wait so a minute. Where? So your, is your family... Primarily in Long Island, New York. Um, no, no, my family's all over the place. All over. I, I got family down south and Jersey and Staten Island and England right. and Australia and Texas. And all right, all over so the place. it's it's tough to to see Canada? everyone. Yeah, I don't. I, but I, they can see you everywhere. I mean, uh, no, they, social they, media. They, they avoid me. They they've had to radio. Grow, yeah, they've had me enough of me and the reunions. They, they, <laughs> they, they know the story. They go elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Hilarious. Um, uh, after college, so after you graduated, uh, Tish. Really impressive, by the way. I attended Tisch for four years. Really, uh, I did. What was your I major? Did. I did drama what concentration. Did, what I, was, I was I was not matriculated. I I just went to I I wasn't enrolled in NYU t- Tisch. I only attended Tisch. I, I only attended drama classes under Sam Schacht, oh. who's now at the um uh well he's retired, so you, but he was the dean of Stella. Spent all Adler. the money, but didn't get the academic exactly, credentials. That's exactly, exactly. Nice. Okay. So, yeah, my mom and dad are very proud. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thinking outside the, the life plan, that's good. Yeah. I like to make everything very difficult for myself. I was, but in, I was in Circle in the Square Theater School um, oh, okay. when they still had that, and then I transferred to the Film TV School. 
Uh, we're kind of, I mean, I, I'm a little younger than you, but not much. And I wonder, like, so what was the time frame for you when you were um, at Tisch? Late 80s, was, early 90s. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was like mid, mid 90s. Nice. But yeah, that's that's great. I mean, has that helped you? Like, because they say you go to Tisch for the connections, not yeah. so much the education. No, but it's great for the fundraising emails uh, every day. <laughs> They remember me and they reach out. So that, <laughs> that, is, that it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully you got a bench out of it that with your I name. I could be a dollar sign to NYU really was, yeah. was all, I, all I hoped for. My so. mom went to NYU. My dad went to NYU. Really? My yeah. dad went to NYU. Yeah. And my mom still gets fundraising emails. I was supposed to go to NYU. Unfortunately, I only took a few acting classes there with Stella when Stella was on the board at NYU. Wow, lucky you. Yeah, so every now and then my mom will like to shove it in my face, like, well, you know, you could have gone to NYU. Mm, yeah, she's she said that to me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, so what did you do after college? Did you just kind of like grad? I ran a naturally- dorm. I ran a, I, I finished yeah. college and I was, I was a summer RA and I was thinking, okay, um, what am I going to do? Uh, the summer RA job's going to end. I've graduated and I guess I'm moving back to the Isle of Long to live with my parents and hate myself. And then I, I was, um, offered a job running a dormitory, um, for like a nine to five office manager job for one of the residence halls. And, uh, and I took it and it was great. I stayed there too long, but it, you know, I, I spent the day doing day-to-day maintenance on a building. And then at night I could do stand up and do plays. And I ah. did my first open mic and I, okay. I, I, I met the person who became my partner through that. And, um, so it, it wound up being, uh, pretty nice. And I got to just sort of stay at NYU a lot longer than most males should. But so, so but you, I read a dorm for a while. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. And it gave you the freedom to do like your, to, to not, hone. Not quite fascinating. Trust me. Now, room but condition I mean, reports, you know, not that fascinating. Uh, but, but, but you know, you had not, you, you figured it out. Well, I was you really young. I, yeah. I didn't care. I, I had a nice little place South of Washington square park. I'd walk through the park every day and then I did my first open mic and I would just like try jokes out on the students. And then at night I would go and hit like a bunch of clubs and it was a, it was a nice way to spend your early twenties. You know, I really miss like when you're younger, it's like it's you can be doing anything and it's acceptable. Like, you know, like like it's like I I wish I could have a job like that now. You know, I always said if I can go back to any age, it would be like 12 because you're old enough to know what you're doing, but not old enough to be held responsible for it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Mm. so what was your entree into stand up? Like, I remember my first open mic and how it all started. How did you actually get to your first open? I saw George Carlin at Westbury Music Fair on the Jammin' in New York tour. And Mm. it was at a time when we had this really popular first Persian Gulf War to restore the dictator of Kuwait <laughs> yes. um, for freedom. Kuwait being a country where women are legal property. Right. So uh, our government told uh, Saddam Hussein, go ahead, we don't care if you invade. He invaded and we called him Hitler and had a war. Right. Half of our casualties came from friendly fire. We restored the dictator. It was one of the darkest times I watched the entire country go insane. Mm-hmm. The jingoism horrified me. George H.W. Bush actually said, we have exercised the ghosts of Vietnam. Like all 58,000 so we can feel good about war again. Right. Uh, Whitney Houston lip-synced the national anthem and it became a hit single. Her that lip-synced was version. a lip-sync this whole she time? lip-synced yep. the entire thing. And um, when they had the parade of heroes, like I remember there was a group of clergy that were just praying in a quiet prayer protest and the crowd surrounded them and began shouting assholes, assholes, assholes at the clergy praying because... We buried people alive in trenches with tanks. It was yeah. a nasty little war to restore a dictator that we could have avoided, but we told him to go. It was so awful. 
and it had 93% approval rating. And I thought I was insane. Like I, I just kept trying to have arguments with people and they were all so, it was such an easy light little war. Everyone felt so good about it. And my friends said, Hey, come out and see George Carlin with us at Westbury. And I was like, uh, you know, I, I like the dirty jokes. Okay. And this was the jamming in New York tour. This is, you know, they talk about George Carlin. They say he had these two phases. He was the mainstream guy with the impressions and on Ed Sullivan. And then he became the hippie, mm. but he really had three stages. And he said with jamming in New York in 1990 ish, he, he, he stopped being a comic and became an essayist. Like it's when he became the, the angry old man we know, right. George, the third phase of George Carlin. And I sat there not knowing what to expect and he began that set, and you can listen to the album, he began it with the most blistering, savage takedown of the first Persian Gulf War, mm. which had 93% approval rating. It was terrifying to speak out against it. Mm -hmm. Terrifying to speak mm -hmm. out against it. And he ripped into it mm. and talked about George Bush sending other people's kids to die. And the crowd laughed. And I thought, wait a second, I know 100% of this crowd's not against this war. I mean, he's somehow reaching people by telling them the truth about how fucked up it all is. And it was the first time in my life a comedian made me feel less alone. Wow. And I just thought I, I would like to make someone else feel that someday. And so uh, I, I started doing stand-up. My first open mic was at the Boston Comedy Club. Oh, nice. Mm. Oh, it was like Attell and Chappelle and Wally Collins and sure. uh, all these great comics on my first open mic. Um, and then, and then you know, I was just doing a lot of like goofy stuff and impressions. And as time went on, I I just started doing more politics. Exactly. And then my, more and more. my parents gave me permission to talk about religion and their past. Right. Okay. And then Bill Maher, when I moved out here to do my first network show, Bill Maher had me on a lot with like religious people. Like I debated Jerry Falwell in my twenties and right. David Duke. And, um, and it sort of like opened me up creatively to a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of possibilities that weren't the most commercially viable, but felt like a calling. So, um, yeah, it, to me, uh, I, I stand up is just a, such a pure art form. And, you know, Billy yes. Wilder said, if you're going to tell people the truth, make it funny or they'll kill you. <laughs> and that, that quote has sort of guided me for a long time. That's pretty great quote. Well, know? political humor is so dastardly. I mean, think about it. it it's so easy to have it be therapy on stage or, or just, you know, it, it's so easy for it to just be propaganda disguised right. as, as art. And you can't get on any late night TV shows doing political material. Only the hosts mm. can do political. Yeah, right. yeah. Topical, topical. Right. topical. You right. alienate like half your audience right off the bat. Right. Um, so it, it but uh, those Especially are the people now. who inspired me. But you yeah. know what's funny? I've known you a very long time and we've done been on stage and shows together and I would not classify you as a political comedian so much as I would call you a socially conscious comedian. Because to me, your material covers more of a protracted arena than just politics, but it is all right. very socially well, conscious. Yeah, I mean, Agreed. you know, thank you. I, I, I just try to keep it silly because it's very easy to get too preachy. And, and you know, I've seen so many liberal comics who are right about everything, except they forget to put, you the know, punch funny lines. shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where's the laughs? Yeah. Well, but also, but also you have to make fun of both sides and, and, you know, yes. it's, it's a great discipline to like, if I know I'm playing to a Trump heavy crowd, how am I going to keep my own integrity and still give these people what they paid for and give them a good time? You got to put yourself in the fire too. And yeah. I would say you have found that fine line, but going back to get, asking your mom and dad for permission to yes. talk about religion. Let's yeah. just talk a, a minute about that. Sure. So your mom and dad <laughs> well, were, okay. I mean, and I, 
and 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 pardon me, you know, if, if I, I know that you've been interviewed a lot and you've probably talked about this subject, but people, you know, that are just tuning in and no, no, uh, no, people no. who are just on the podcast to get drunk, uh, please humor. <laughs> well, no, start drinking then. Please do. Yay. Please fill us in. To my friend John. To your engagement. Yay. Yeah, yeah, all right. We'll toast to that. Enjoy Foley Johnson. Mm-hmm. My Wait. parents are, uh, I was raised very Catholic, very, very Catholic, um, liberal Catholic, well, liberal mm. politically. Right. Socially, very conservative. My dad didn't want us to be Republicans, but he dressed us like them. Um, <laughs> you know, like the plaid checkered pants and the right. buzz cut and the Clark Kent glasses and the clip wow. on bow tie. Oh, this is in the 70s. Okay. My second grade class picture is like 40 little almond brothers and Buddy Holly's inbred cousin. Um, <laughs> I, 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 my mother was a nun before she married from, from the South. Oh, my and, goodness. Uh, she went into the convent right out of high school. They put her through nursing school and eventually sent her to Africa to work with lepers in the jungles of Malawi and then in a jungle hospital. My my dad was... Uh, that is so intense. I can hardly conceive of it. Yeah. That was You said it in such a short... But I mean, let's... That, that's... It was pretty intense for her. I, I've, no one... I, I, you're the first person I've ever met that had a mother <laughs> that worked with lepers <laughs> in wow. Africa as a nun. I mean, yeah. wow. I yeah. can't really top that. I, that's... I, that's really intense. Amazing. Ju- Julie Andrews did my show, and I and I, I I told her about my mom, and she's like, "I've never met anyone whose whose mother was an ex nun." And I'm like, "You, you were right. the only model I had for it. Watching Maria mm, von Trapp was I the know. only thing in the culture that mm. let me relate to you." I'm like Julie Andrews. Come wow, on, the they hills come up are to alive. people come up to me after every show and tell me about their aunt who was a nun or something. You've never had this before. She was as close to a nun as you could get without being a nun, and she's like, "Honey, I put whiskey in my milk." You know, I mean, <laughs> she's a nun married to a guy who hired her to be sob. Right? So, yeah. Um, so that was your mom. I love her. My, an my, angel. My father. Well, yeah. You know, a very complicated person. Um, very complicated. She. Grew up in the segregated South. Mm-hmm. Okay. And wanted to get away from there. And she went to Africa. So she really Ooh, got away from there. Yeah. Okay. And um, from what I've heard. Ultimate you know, education. Yeah. There's there's a lot of complications in her family. Um, and a lot of mystery and a lot of things I'll probably never know uh, that drove her there. Because, you know. That's common for that. Uh, that age. time of. Right. My, my gram's that way. I have a 90 year old. I mean, I'm not. Your mom is. Yeah. But, you know. When, not, when, but. Yeah. Older, yeah, that that she, she didn't leave the convent until her father was dead. I'll put it that way. Uh, my my dad grew up in Brooklyn, um, and he became a Franciscan brother. He was uh, one of the priests put him through Catholic school, let him go to St. Francis Prep for free, and and uh, where he was taught by the Franciscan brothers. They're an order that came over here from Ireland in the 1800s to open schools on the East Coast, right. and um. Franciscans are the cool Catholics. They're very cool guys. They they can smoke and drink. They smoke. They drink. They play sports. They gamble. Know, yeah, my yeah. <laughs> uh, Franciscans are a riot. So, <laughs> and my dad was someone who I don't know why he was a big social justice Catholic who revered Martin Luther King, revered Gandhi, revered Dorothy Day. Uh, uh, very liberal. Like I was the only kid whose parents voted against Reagan, and the only kid whose parents made them go to church. All the time. Yeah. Like every Sunday, every yeah. holiday. So my father, the brother, met my mother, the sister, um, fell madly in love, couldn't tell her, wasn't allowed. They became friends and pen pals. She went to Africa and he would just write these long letters. This is so romantic. Um, her village had no newspapers or radios. So her he'd write these letters about what was going on in the States and civil rights and Vietnam and LBJ and Nixon. My mother wasn't allowed to open her mail 
the mother superior would open the letters and read them aloud to everyone like it was the newspaper. And my mother was always the last to get her mail. Um, eventually they transferred her back and my dad, my dad borrowed a car and, uh, and drove down to visit her in Virginia beach and working on overnight in the hospital. And, uh, they talked till the sun came up and he told her he loved her mm -hmm. and she threw him out <laughs> saying, you have no right to say that to me. Okay, so she see, felt very threatened of you this. You see she... how I'm dressed? You mm -hmm. have no right mm -hmm. to say this. But he had gotten through to her. And the next day, he he wanted to come to her house to meet her family. And my, my grandmother said, a Yankee from Brooklyn? I, I won't be able to understand a word he says. <laughs> uh, but he showed up in a, in a clerical collar and a hat. And he was all Brooklyn charm. And when it was time to go, he uh, he kissed my, my grandmother. And he, he kissed my mother's sister's. And then he turned to my mother and politely shook her hand. So all the ladies knew he was in love. And oh. she went back to Africa. Uh, and at one point he said to his superior, you know, I'm thinking about leaving the brothers. I'm, I'm, I've given it some thought. And his superior didn't ask any questions. He just said, if you love her, marry her. <laughs> That's oh, amazing. That. So she came back. Uh, he drove down again and proposed again. And this time she said, yes. <gasps> Wow. And, uh, for her 16 years of poverty, chastity, and servitude, they thanked her with uh, one gray cotton dress and $200. And right, they got right. married at 34. They had had a vow of poverty. Um, so it was a, a first love and a second marriage for them both. And they raised us in the Isle of Long to be progressive, free-thinking Catholics, which is why I do stand-up, because I can't afford the therapy. <laughs> you really are more well versed on the Bible than almost any human being I've ever known. A lot of people you don't get out much, Rich. This well, no, seriously, John, you can quote chapter and verse in a way that a lot of, I mean, just that a lot of people cannot. And I could see why you would have taken on Jerry Falwell because I guarantee he probably couldn't keep up. Well, yeah, he's a fraud. Yeah, I mean, a complete spiritual fraud. Jerry Falwell was a guy who opened segregated schools and who fought for segregation. Right. And when Reagan was president, he defended apartheid called Bishop Tutu a phony. I remember that. Told Americans to buy cougarons. Homophobic, you know, uh, mm. just everything that's the opposite of what Jesus taught. And right. I, I had this weird model. I was growing up and, and again, I'm not talking about religion at all because religion, eh. but um, I'd see these really good Christian people, right? My parents, their friends, my mother worked with all these nuns and, and I knew nuns who did like homeless outreach for teens. And I saw, you know, Christians who really walked the walk, right? Like they were there to be of service and love and forgive and be nice. And then I'd put on the TV and I would see these right-wing TV evangelist grifters um, who were all about hating communists, hating gay people, right. you know, hating immigrants. Uh, and, of hypocrisy. And it took me a Tremendous. long time to figure it all out and, and to realize, well, that's the difference between spirituality and religion, right? Like they say the largest religion. growing religious group is Mormons. I, I think the largest growing religious group are people who were raised religious but now consider themselves spiritual because mm -hmm. they're turned off to hypocrisy of men in funny hats yeah, and weird dresses. It's hard to call yourself a Christian and not embrace the teachings of the Christ part of it. It's very easy to do that, actually. You know, uh, they, it's very easy to do that. That's sort of what our country was built on, you know, ignoring the stuff Jesus actually talked about right. and waving him around like a fucking prop. Yeah. So, like, for me, as I got older, uh, when I got away from the church, I got into the Bible and I began realizing that... Um, there's no Jesus-based defense 
for Republican Party policies. None whatsoever. Even pre-Trump. None. And you know what? I I mean, for those of you who don't know, you can Google it. You're, when I try to explain to people about John Fugel saying, oh I will very often show them your quote about... Oh. And it's he has shared that with me. I, I was one actually, of the first you, you things, shared it on your Facebook. I did share it on my Facebook a few times when things anger me, <laughs> you know. But, um, I can you recite it for us, please? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, Jesus was a I'm sorry, Jesus is a peaceful, radical, nonviolent revolutionary who hung around with lepers, hookers, and crooks who never spoke English, was not an American citizen, was anti-wealth, anti-death penalty, um, never anti-gay, never mentioned abortion, never technically came out against premarital sex, never called poor people lazy, never fought for tax cuts for the wealthiest Nazarenes, never said torture's okay sometimes, never asked a leper for a copay, and was a long-haired, brown-skinned, that's in Revelation, fuck you left behind books, brown-skinned, homeless, community organizing, anti-slut-shaming, unarmed, Palestinian liberal Jew. But that's if you believe what's actually in the Bible. Right. So, yeah, I I just, I I didn't want to talk about this stuff, but I didn't see my point of view expressed anywhere in the culture at all. Like some academics and, you know, Mm -hmm. lefty Mm -hmm. priests write books, but I didn't see it anywhere. And um, no one was doing it. Yeah. And, and it, and and again, I, here's my thing. I don't claim to be a good Christian. Not at all. I'm I'm not, I'm not riding that train. I I aspire to be Christian, but I would never say I'm Christian. No one is perfect. And again, like uh, this whole, like we can only try nothing. The, The Bible's not against birth control. The Bible's not against abortion. Let me say that again for the folks at the back. The Bible's not against abortion. But I grew up in this country where they got followers of Jesus to vote against everything Jesus ever talked about. Right. By talking about abortion, which Jesus never talked about. And that's the square root of the hypocrisy in this country. And Jesus was anti-death penalty. Oh, yes, he was. Never mentioned abortion. Right. So I'm like, go ahead and believe what you want, but don't prostitute the faith my parents shared for your little fetishes and hangups. You can't be a homophobe and claim that you follow Jesus. You can't shit on the Christian refugees at our Southern border, calling them illegals and pretend you follow Jesus or turn away war refugees or think torture is a good idea. There's no way you can support Donald. I mean, Donald Trump, it's the only thing Trump has in common with Jesus. They both, Hung out with hookers and they both use ghostwriters. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> and that's why I say more socially conscious than political. More preachy is yeah. more like it. Give me more wine. More wine. I don't no. even know if I would no. call it preachy. preachy. In here. You know what? When you're it's able to impressive. say the truth, no matter how you deliver it, it isn't preachy. Well, it's at a point now where I get invited to all these things. I'm going to London next week to be on a panel with Malala talking about... I love, I love, love, love Malala. I'm more than mildly obsessed with her. Yeah, she is about Malala. Read her memoir three times. I like her old stuff before she went all pop, you know? Oh, oh <laughs> all right. I think well, better, I, I, I've incorporated both. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've read her memoir three times. Now, granted, it was the children's edition. <laughs> now, you don't know, Sarah actually does a small piece about Malala in her act, which I think is really it's, funny. It's not an act. I don't know how many times I should, everything she I say up the there. the term act it's when not we talk an about act. Santa. It's my truth. Your, uh, it, I understand, it's but my truth. I know, but the call term. It a, call it a skit, Rich. They uh, like yes, that. Yes, yes. Okay, when you do I'm your skit, well, you know, when I see you do your skit, <laughs> you talk about When you're up there doing them little vignettes you got going on there. So that's so impressive. You're going to meet Malala. I'm, 
I'm kind of okay. I'm, <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm getting a little overwhelmed at the thought. I'm very starstruck. I'm with like, her. okay, people I cannot hit on. Number Ooh. one, no, yeah, not, <laughs> yeah. Not, you can't hit on. She's of age now, and she's grown to be a beautiful, beautiful young woman. Yes. That's for sure. Did and you what, see her on Letterman on on uh, Netflix show? No. Oh, so funny. I, yes, it's in the queue. I need to. Oh, Letterman it's in the queue. Now, Letterman had now, on. Did, now, not not a lot of people realize there were two other little girls with her that day. Yes. They were also shot by the Taliban and lived, but no one talks about them. They're like the other two yeah, of well, Destiny's they, child. They signed, Wait, with they, where, where? they signed with William Morris and that's what happens. <laughs> you know, like they're, waiting, they're waiting for auditions. Why was it just Malala, Malala, Malala? Malala knew it's not about waiting for auditions. You have to have something you want to package. Oh, she brought right. a serious concept was, to William Morris and so they, they were able to she go was, for it. So she was yeah, the Marsha. They, they put her with the literary a, department. Yeah, write your own ticket. That's how it yeah. works. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, you know, it's it's I, I get invited to all kinds of stuff like this and it's interesting because I'm at a point now where I'll, I'll debate any right-wing Christian person. And one thing I've found about extreme conservative Christians, it's kind of funny, they don't know dick about the Bible. Isn't yes. that great? They don't know dick they about the Bible. Know. They so, don't They just listen to their leader yeah. uh, and, I don't, and don't actually read it. I don't just go by from, whatever. Yeah, I don't do the atheist angle, you know? Uh, I, and I love atheists. I believe in them. Sure. Um, some of the best Christians I know are atheists. Are atheists. But, <laughs> but for me, I'd rather do what I call uh, this thing I do, which is uh, thump Bible thumpers with the Bible. And I'll say, let's assume every word of the Bible is absolute literal fact. And now let's debate your evil fucking policy positions. Mm. Right. And, um, I, I, you know, it's not even that I'm that good at it. It's just I've read the book. Yeah. And no. you actually absorbed it. You can't be a homophobe. You can't. No. I mean, none of this stuff. You can't. Now, now, do you think part of the problem is that it's so, um, we've, we've become so stupid as a society just in terms of education no, and maybe a lot of people. it's always been this way. We had slave owners but, but, who were great. Slave, Christian slave, slave owners. owners. In, terms of, right. uh, in terms of, you know, do you think that people just are deciphering People Bible, create God the in their Bible own image. Incorrectly, people exactly. create God in their own image. They assume Jesus hates the same people they hate, and they pass that down to their kids. And you know, Noah's Ark's a great story, uh, unless you think too deeply about it. One of my favorites. Yeah, but with you know, with Jesus, I mean, <laughs> they only mention Jesus in the manger or arisen, mm. not the guy who fought for poor folks or the sick or those in prison right. who railed against the rich for taking more than their fair portion, who opposed all executions, never talked about abortion. Right. They, you know, they they would. If if actual Jesus came here, they would ship him off to Juarez. You know, no papers, yeah, get out. Absolutely. So for me, it's like, I, I say, you know, no, I'm going to argue this on your terms, fundamentalists. If you're just calling them, you know, cult members, if you call them stupid, they're just going to believe you're on the side of Satan and it's going to make them right, think they're right. even more right. So I actually, and, and anyone listening can do this. Just when you talk to your right-wing loved ones next Thanksgiving, you see your uncle racist and your aunt dead inside, just ask them, you know, <laughs> Nate, can you cite one actual teaching of Jesus that uh, Donald Trump or the Republican Party have fought for legislatively in the last 30 years? You're going to hear abortion. And you say the Bible's not against abortion. Not at all. Right. God's the least pro-life character in the book. So then the second thing they'll say is, oh, this is a strong border. <laughs> Well, they say, no, there's no. no laws in the Bible about borders or about immigration other than Jesus commanding you to welcome the stranger. And right. the third most common thing they say is, Trump moved the embassy to, to Jerusalem. And I'm like, this <laughs> might shock you, but the American embassy is never mentioned in the Bible. Uh, America is it's never, never mentioned, mentioned in the Bible. In the Bible. 
So, you know, they haven't read it. And so I'm in the camouflage removal business because there's a lot of people who use Christianity as cloaking device for douchebaggery. And honestly, it's not very lucrative career wise, but I just got really, really sick of these antichrist motherfuckers Mm -hmm. uh, prostituting a movement that is based on compassion and empathy for the least of us and forgiving those who hurt you. And, you know, Jesus gives his marching orders to individuals and nations in, in Matthew 25, you take care of the sick, you take care of the poor, you're kind to those in prison, you welcome the stranger. That's it. And you want yeah. to know something? Not to mention the, can, the Ten Commandments. Can we just people, follow that, please? Jesus, right. Jesus well, reduces the Ten Commandments to two. to two. And the thing is, that's as close so to we Judaism <laughs> as you could possibly get. Because when people ask me about, ah, well, Jews and Dirty Jay, and they really want to get... Oh, yeah. That, the whole... Oh, my God. Kanye? The whole—I oh, don't want to go there. Right? Kanye, he's not dropping oh, albums goodness. anymore. He's dropping no, pogroms he, exactly. now. Exactly. The um, the the whole oh, base. So it's okay, Kanye. Not a lot of Jews in the entertainment field. You should be fine. Don't worry. Oh, Keep he's going. Done, well, right? That was he's his done. quote the other day. His quote the other day was he's that right. Jews own the voice of know. the black artists. Well, they're managed by Jews and, and studios by Jews. Congratulations, Kanye. Yeah, Here's your ticket to Jer- Gina Carano Island. Right yeah, here. You're pretty Enjoy much the done the business. I don't get. Yeah. No, he won't be done. He's going to continue making money for people. Look, I mean, he's a genius. The tragedy is that no one talks about Kanye as an artist anymore. No one. No. No one's talked about him as an artist. I like his music. Right. I do. My beautiful I work dark out to twisted it. fantasy is a great record. But right. he's he's a celebrity now. He's not an artist. He's a celebrity. Well, that's no what happens when you get together with Kim Kardashian. You and he's being lose all artistic and again, credibility. He's being used. You know. I don't know about that. The Republican Party's. Can using I just him. say something? When I, I thought the same way, I thought, "Oh no! Now the Kardashians are made for life because the greatest MC alive is married to Kardashian. Now mm. they're legit." Uh, look what's happened. She was carrying him by the end. Oh, right. absolutely. I mean, I she was she giving him, him credibility by the end. I thought that the whole time from day one. I really did. Yeah. Well, I, I really did. You I, know, I, I, but like no one talks about his production work. No, I mean, that gospel record he made, it's the first like narcissist gospel hip hop album. I mean, the fucking pronoun, I, me, I, me, I, me. Like right. the whole album is just his ego. And, and no one talks about him as a producer, as an MC. It's never. It's all about his antics and his bullshit. It's right. really sad. Yeah. You know, because his first few albums were quite epic. Yeah. By and, the, uh, the, the Bounds 2 video was when I knew things mm-hmm, were going wrong. Mm-hmm, I was like, mm-hmm. okay. And, you know, so, like, I, I wonder, you know, with the whole Alex Jones takedown, you know, uh, deservingly so. But do you think, you know, because Kanye was quoting yeah. that the, you know, events of January 6th were staged and not, you know. No, and, that's not what he I, said. What, what did he say? Well, he said all that shit. But what he, speaking of Alex Jones, Kanye said that. George Floyd died of a fentanyl overdose. Oh, that's yeah. what it is. He Pardon me. Fentanyl. Not a racist okay, he, cop putting okay, his knee he, on his neck for see, nine See, I'm confusing because right. he's, yeah. he said so many ludicrous George Floyd's things mother, the past George Floyd's mother, <laughs> two weeks. George yeah. Floyd's mother is riding the Alex Jones okay. train and sued him yes, for a lot Yes, yes, that's money. what, yep. that is what, yes. Yeah. Correct, yeah. so. But again, like, but this is what's so insidious. One thing I've learned in this business, if you're a black person willing to put down black people, there is a white person who will put you on TV. Yeah. If you're an African-American who's willing to say that black men are lazy or black women are lazy and, or that they, they, they're on the democratic plantation or they, they, they looting their own communities, they're terrible fathers, they're absentee fathers, you're willing to shit on black people? There are white people who will put you on their platform. Yeah. I mean, I've been on a lot of their shows. And Kanye thinks he's really popular right now because he's got a lot of evil motherfuckers who mm. hated him when he mm. called George Bush out 15 years ago. And now, I mean, Tucker Carlson had all this footage of Kanye trash-talking Judaism, and he sat on it. 
imagine he didn't even care about the ratings. Kanye's their pet now. Oh, He's their yeah. pet rapper, so they don't want to hurt their property now. Yeah. Well, shame on Tucker Carlson for eight million things, but especially for sitting on footage like that. Well, that's a whole other conversation. That guy. But yeah. that's so. So let's go back to you. Like when you started. This has been uh, white guys I mean, really, ranting about hip hop. We really want to talk about John <laughs> because I'm fascinated. I'm just absolutely fascinated that you know you are you're an, you're known as a rebel just for being an independent thinker. And but but you're you're you know really I I, I mean that's all you're an independent thinker uh, and honestly, an, an inevitable I'm, leader as a result. I, I'm just I'm I'm not good at making. Smart smart choices. Like I was doing, I was doing America's Funniest Home Videos and I was like doing political material on set. Like, and it was just, it wasn't working. And I just, I, I tried to be mainstream when I was in my twenties and I, I didn't feel called it's, to that. I, I, I have a bland white guy look that right. lends itself. And I, I, I'm older now. I can do it now. I can come out there and smile and shoot the breeze. And it's a lot easier to do that kind but of But in your twenties, it's prompter you're not going to stand 20s, out. I, you're I not going to be memorable. And, and I was trying to figure out why, I, what my calling was. So yeah, I, I, it, has it cost me work? Absolutely. But, um, but that's fine. It's worth it. But don't you think it kind of offset because you, you gained work just by being unique and finding, you know, your, your category and your role and etching a, a couple a of years back, I, a couple of years back, I was offered to be, uh, on, on good morning America to mm. actually be the weatherman on good morning America. Oh, and I said at the time, like, don't you want someone who can spell meteorologist? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it was a lot of money and it would have changed my life. And I, I turned it down and, uh, and I had times when I, question my judgment on it, but I, I've always known it was the right choice because I, I've had the experience of being paid really well to do high profile jobs that made me dislike myself. Right. And that's not success. No matter no. how happy it makes your agents and managers. Right. Um, that ain't success. Yeah. No, I've, I've that's a really solid point. And, you know, and, you know, for artists who are listening to, because, I mean, we have to do what we have to do for a paycheck sometimes, yeah, well, you know, that, but if that's you, fine. Like there's, right, there's the commercial work but, you have to do to fund right. the creative work you want but to but do. But if you do. have that choice. But it, but in terms of and, like, don't, like, I just realized, okay, I, and I still do it. I'll go dip my toe in the hosting pool every couple of years, but I, I realized I don't want to be famous being a prompter monkey. Mm -hmm. Couldn't do it. Right. So if, you know, if it's my show and I'm selling, you know, what I do, then it's one thing. Uh, and I've done shows that I've hosted where, you know, I, I was a producer and could, I mean, Al Gore gave me a job to do that before he sold his channel. Right. But like, um, yeah, it, it's, it's just, uh, and it, it's, it's just, it's not that I have integrity. I'm just a snob. I have no integrity. I just, I'm, I'm a snob. I just, well, you know, you're the director of your own show. Yeah. You, you can do whatever you want. Coming up next, yeah, folks. You know, I mean. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be part of keeping you've, a you've, once great democracy in a stupor. That's, that's okay. You know, it's funny. You, you, you said what you said before. Jennifer Jason Lee in an interview uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago said, look, I don't ever want to be a commercial actress. I do four or five independent films a year and yeah. one studio film so I can pay my bills because I can't make money being an artist or the artist that dream she wants life. to be. The dream life. Pacino, same thing. You know? Yeah. yeah. A lot of these guys, they'll do the the big commercial movie to pay their staffs and then they'll go do what they mm -hmm. want to do. Right. And we all do that to some degree. I mean, people who take day jobs so they can do community theater at night know what we're talking about. Here. Those are people that are artists. Yeah. You know? People I who, mean, you know, work in office jobs so they can paint on the weekends. You know, you, absolutely. you do the work to pay the bills so you can do the work that, that you want to be that doing. That you were sent here to create. Yeah. But because you are so, so 
great at the work that you want to be doing because you're so passionate and you put so much into it. Now you are reaping the benefits and the fruits of your, you know, I mean, you have a lot. saying that because you saw me have two good sets. You crushed crushed your sets, by the way. First time doing stand-up in LA. And they were both different. They were different from one another. You used different dynamics, different body language, different cadence different different rooms I, well they were yeah in different audience and different times a day yeah just you know, like so a different room but yeah thank you I, I i and i it was great because i hadn't been on stage at the improv or the comedy store since before the pandemic it was years so like i was so nervous coming back and it was you would so have wonderful. never known well once you're on stage you're not nervous it's yeah, such you, a you, joy to you see just you command that room oh, thank you um not As to brag to but not to brag, but I've had some pretty big headliners in my show, uh, yeah. and you you were absolutely the. I mean, there's just yeah, the, the floor rumbled. Wow, would I've you, never seen that before in my room. This is going to be really awkward, but would you would you marry me? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rich, I wasn't planning on is it. Is that going okay, this Rich? Way. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you, you know, can you can keep the rich. go to Utah, sure, or whatever. You know? Story of my life. Um, I'm, getting, I'm getting bumped from my own engagement. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say the room just got crowded, no, but you just we're, bumped at honestly, my shows. listen, we love what you did. We're going a different direction. Exactly. <laughs> it's not that you don't look the role. We yeah. just, you know, we're going um, taller. But okay, so favorite <laughs> change subject. Uh, but but favorite art form? Would you say is it stand up? Is that your ultimate? you know, art form of release of, of, or do you have a favorite? No, no. I mean, I, 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 I mean, acting, uh, maybe. Oh, acting. But, but okay. stand up and, okay. and, you know, just like writing when you get in a good place and, you know, your channels are open, you're able to write, write, write. And you look at the clock and six hours have passed and you're like, whoa, oh, no, hey, opa. For those listening. Uh, okay. So we had a little mishap with a okay. bottle. Look at that. Thank you very just, much. Just what a waste of wine. That's okay. That's the you problem. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to ring out the rag later. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Who cares about the, all the, the video equipment? I appreciate this because St. Fugelsang is the patron saint of pouring <laughs> leftover wine back into the bottle. Not <laughs> a fun time until you knock over your bottle. You, yeah. uh, it was a bottle. Not That's a why, drink. yeah. Take your That's bloody rag. Bottle shock. Jesus juice on Bot- there. Bottle, it, it is. <laughs> bottle shock. Um, so you're in town, you're, you have a lot of projects in both cities, but what, what currently, why, what, what brought you to LA? You have something big well, Saturday I, night. I, I, I performed a wedding. I came out here to oh, officiate a wedding. What? Uh, That's uh, so yeah. fun. On, on Friday, we, I, I opened a off-Broadway political comedy show last week, uh, Laughing Liberally in New York, and then I flew okay. here. congratulations. Uh, thank you. Officiated a wedding last Friday, and then... Um, and then I had like a whole week in LA. I was gonna fly back. My wife's like, why are you flying back? You stay, stay there for a week. And I'm like, I, I haven't been alone. I've been trapped in a house with a child and people for like two years at a bed. So I'm like alone, it's like heaven. Um, oh, I was gonna say, maybe it's awkward. Like you gotta get used to it again, oh, you no, know? I got, I've got uh, so much. He's like, no much, problem. So much, <laughs> so much work done. I'm eating so healthy. I'm taking naps. It's just, I'm taking oh. walks, whatever I wanna do. Um, so I, I came out, officiated a wedding and then, uh, and then you know, I'm doing my Series XM show every night while I'm here. Yeah, Some yes. meetings and your lovely podcast. And I did a show with you at the, you, you did. At the story you did. the other night. And then this weekend, is the final show of uh, Stephanie Miller's Sexy Liberal Save Democracy comedy tour, which we're, is a lot of words. We're going, right? You're coming, right? Yeah, yeah we're, we're going, going Saturday. Saturday night. This is yeah. a tour that we started about 10 years ago, um, and it was sort of 
meant to be like the the blue collar comedy tour for smart people. And uh, over the years, we've we've had great guests join us on stage uh, from from Rob Reiner, who's with us this weekend. He's going to come right. on stage, but like can't wait to Nancy see Nancy Pelosi has joined us on stage. Uh, Lily Tomlin, Margaret I, Cho has done stuff with us. Aisha Tyler, Daryl Hammond. We've had like so many Adam mm-hmm. Schiff. I just said right. Jamie Raskin came out with our show. And, I love uh, Jamie Raskin. Uh, I'm, can I tell you, I'm playing his birthday party. Are you? I'm, I'm obsessed with I'm him. I'm playing his 60th birthday party. In Not a just when you say you're work. playing, like you're doing stand-up? Like or? they asked me if I would come, and he came on stage with us in, in, in D.C. last month, and his people called and asked if I would do do his wedding, do his birthday party. So. He is such a great American, and for, I mean, his story the loss is, he's had is just yeah, you know. But I just really love his work. I really, really do. And I, now, I'm and now Malala, fan. like yeah, you're Malala. not messing around. You're nope. like as anyone tr- you haven't met. Malala. I mean, you're on the radar. I'm do my podcast, Malala. Um, and, and so this tour this weekend, we're we're doing the the last night at the Saban Theater, mm-hmm. right? Beverly mm-hmm. Hills, and it's Stephanie Miller, me, Hal Sparks, Frangela, uh, Glenn Kirshner my favorite MSNBC legal superstar right. and Rob Reiner are among our special guests. And, um, like we had, we had Martin Sheen do this show, Adam Schiff, Ted Lou, and, uh, it's going to be, uh, a pay-per-view this Saturday night. So if you want, you can go to meathook.live and watch Stephanie Miller's sexy liberal tour, go to sexyliberal.com for more information. If you can't make it, it is the big midterm political party mm-hmm. of the year mm-hmm. and, uh, a lot of morality and drunken dirty jokes. Now, I, I can honestly favorite. say this will be my third. Oh wow! Stephanie Miller tour that I'm going to see. You came to this one at the I, at I, the I, at the theater in Westwood. Oh, okay, right. I was at that one also, and I can tell you at the Pantages. I was at the Pantages also. So that was I, crazy. That was crazy. Lily Tomlin did that. L- Lily my did both. Theater. That's right. Lily did. was yeah. also at the uh, the theater in, in Westwood also, and I can honestly tell anybody who's listening. Um, absolutely you want to go online or you want to try to get tickets these are incredible shows with incredible people and incredibly high level stand up comedy it is worth the time and the money to be a participant in this event yes unless you're a deep fan of Donald Trump then you will absolutely you should still still watch still go still listen maybe learn something (laughs) educate yourself I would never besmirch the intelligence of Trump supporters and if you are a Trump supporter um, besmirch means to put down and if you don't know what put down means, <laughs> by the way, that is one of my, oh. new, what is, that was my favorite new bits you're doing is the mansplaining the, the, bit. The patronizing, oh, mansplaining. Oh funny. I've seen you do it twice, but you've done it very differently, both way, you know, both sets. And look, look. Uh, you're so, so funny. A lot of you. Very talented. A lot of you little ladies think you understand mansplaining. That's it's okay. It's okay if you don't. No, it, Sarah. You're good at other things. You're good at other things. I'm trying my so I just, best. I try to, I try to, mansplain is in the dictionary now. So I try to help out ladies and ex- tell them the definition so they get it straight. Cause you know, I'm an ally. So, um, <laughs> y'all have to see John do this bit. It's so yeah. brilliant. So, and the, the audience is just fall off their chair laughing. You had people in the aisles just, what's you funnier know. than a preachy liberal being <gasps> a dick? <laughs> a preachy, self-righteous, virtue-signaling liberal being a regressive dick. It's oh, just very man. funny. In so, my opinion, nothing. Yeah. Well, then, you know, would you say, because you had a long break from performing stand-up, so when you started doing it, you know, again, well, you were, were you doing stand-up in, in New York City this whole time? In lockdown? Yeah. I mean, the clubs were all closed. Right. I mean, so, I, I did Zoom shows. Oh, yeah. you can't count that. Well, yeah. no, but I, I like the Zoom shows. You know, on the one hand, you know, you feel like... <sighs> 
I grew up in the 80s, so my dream was always to star in a Beirut hostage video, which is what Zoom shows really like. was. Yeah, yeah but I, I think that Zoom stand-up shows really represent an entirely new art form that just became began out of necessity that we don't understand yet. I think it's going to stick around. There's an Seems incredible to thrill to like, you know. I remember the first time I did one, I was sitting at my desk. I didn't know what to make of it. And then I'm like, wait a second, I'm on a bill. That guy's in Boston and mm -hmm. she's in Chicago right. and he's in San Francisco. We're outreach. all in the same bill. For the yeah. outreach. And then I, I wound up like, like I, I, I'm like, I can't sit at my desk. It's a, I wound up like setting up my whole room where I put a mic on a stand and I stand there with a mic. Same thing. At, with my light and, and the mic's not plugged in, but I hold the mic and I yep. just make it look oh, like I'm doing a proper I did the thing. same thing. That's what I need I, to do. I, I was like, I can't, look, well, you know what sucks about Zoom show? When the comics are sitting. Yeah. Stand okay. up. Stand up. The energy. I, I started doing is. Zoom shows the same way yeah. during pandemic. And then I saw one guy I was on a show with and he was in Helsinki. Wow. But he had a mic and a mic stand. And I said, Was he blonde, tan, and really good looking? You can't marry him. I'm too. I just I, people in Helsinki are unusually great yeah, looking because but, they don't have. But yeah, the, his son. his name is uh, his name is Hottie, and Hottie. he's a good guy. His name is Hottie. We we talked to H A R I, and uh, we I still talk it. online. Hottie, Hottie, Krishna, Krishna, and he was, was really funny. But he had the mic stand, and I was like, "That's the way to do it." And yeah. I got the mic stand out, and yeah. I started doing him that way. And Isn't it actually nice? it made it feel like I was doing. And for a the viewers, set. it looks a little more theatrical. Yes, I'm going to try that. You brought a prop. You made some effort. That's it all. Added a whole of, different dimension okay. to doing the Zoom It was shows. my attitude. That was what needed to be adjusted with Zoom shows. Well, right yeah. before the pandemic happened, Sirius XM. I was working in the afternoons, uh, and and the channel I was working on was going away, and they made me an offer I couldn't refuse to go work nights on the Progress Channel. And we had a big launch. Our first guest was Pete Townsend. And, you know, it was, and it's all politics, but I was like, no, nah, I'm going to have Pete Townsend on my first show. So, Whew, you know, it, it was, yeah, well, it worked out that way. So, because yeah. I, we have a lot of celebrities and rock stars and Indeed. movie stars and artists. I'm glad that. you brought that up. Let's talk about your serious XM. Well, I just, I just want to say like, I was, then story. I was like, but nighttime is bad because I can never do comedy clubs again. And then suddenly there's a pandemic and there are no comedy clubs. But for the sexy liberal tour, we had a lot of dates canceled. So we began doing pay-per-view specials. And in the beginning, it was just me walking around empty New York. I mean, it was empty. Like Will Smith and his fucking dog walking around like empty. And <laughs> like me doing stand-up on these because the news never captured it. You know, the news never captured how quiet and scary. And wherever you were in New York, if you stopped and just listened, somewhere you would hear an ambulance sound. Somewhere. Mm. All hours of the day. And so we, I tried to capture that and I was wound up like making these little films and, and that was really fun and then the Zoom shows and, and all that. And then we did for, for New Year's, we did a, a pay-per-view special that I produced that was one-third um, me having a bunch of comics in, uh, like half of it was me with a bunch of comics in stand-up New York. They hadn't had a show in there all year, and we had an audience of nine people, and I got just like some Rhonda Handsome and right, Mayron Kagani, Carol Montgomery from Funny Women of a Certain love Age. Carol. Uh, just a lot of comics doing a set to an empty room. Judy Gold's son would run up and like mop down. He would he would mop down the mic stand in between everything. <laughs> and then I intercut it. I got different famous people to do a Zoom interviews with me to talk about this horrible fucking year. And like Kathy Griffin and, uh, and David Crosby mm -hmm. and Jane Lynch and Gilbert. What and a lineup. Holy moly. Gilbert, Gilbert oh. did it. It was the last thing I ever did with Gilbert. And, and um, mm. so like, you know, when the pandemic hit, I mean, we all just found ways to adapt and try to be creative in new ways. It didn't always make money, but it did expand our minds, expand our creativity. And we found new ways to try to, 
you know, get stuff out there. And we know how to press the record button on Zoom. Oh. I mean, I, yeah. you know. <laughs> when clubs finally opened up, I'll never forget. I went, I went on stage at the Broadway Comedy Club and I'm like, wait, where, where's the unmute button? I forget. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really respect that you were productive with your time, you know, right. and, they, and that you actually did. I mean, did, it's not you know, like it's, I'm one of these motherfuckers finding, who like learned to you know, play ukulele oh. or, you know, learned to speak Portuguese. Or I mean, one of the yeah. motherfuckers who just gained 20 pounds and got caught up on Netflix. Oh, I'm not, that was hey, me. I, I binged. <laughs> oh my God. I binged. So I was that like, was oh, me. I hope they make more Chernobyls. Oh, oh let's watch more of this. I watched NYPD oh, Blue. I just caught the very first pilot episode one afternoon during wow. pandemic. And I watched the entire series. Yeah, I watched so much from TV. From start to finish. And all the new platforms that came up at the round. Tubi and, 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 and Quibi and Crunchyroll. Right. It's never been easier for a writer to fake credits than it is right now. Yeah. With oh, all these platforms. sure. No, I've, I've been doing that. That's hilarious. That. Yeah. So uh, your Sirius XM show, I, you know, I have, I've been on several of your shows and um, you always seem to wrangle some of the most impressive guests and uh, for those of you who don't listen to John on Sirius, you really should. Some of the guests you've had are incredible. How does that come about? Is it a booker or is it your relationship with these people? Sometimes it's, uh, they have a vast booking department, you know, so like they'll tell me, oh, William Shatner's coming back. And, you know, he was just on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, sometimes it's um, the people I just ask to go right. on. And sometimes it's... Uh, Sometimes they follow me on Twitter and they ask me, like, I'll get a call and like, they'll say, do you want this person? I'm like, no. And they'll say, well, he specifically has to be on your show. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck off. So I, <laughs> now I got to watch his movie or read his book and, you know, right. do a little study. I just, I, you know, I like how celebrities are important because you, you want to, you have to have a photo that you can put on social media to let people know what you're doing. Right. So it it's like outreach. celebrities are the shiny yeah. things that, you know, I mean, if it's I, shiny. I have a lot of journalists and I have activists and I have authors and academics and historians. And then you have to have like Tyler Perry, every other, you know, yeah, yeah. Right. someone like that. So it's like, you know, we have a lot of that stuff, but like this week we had Jennifer Tilly and Paul Feig and, you know, I mean, it's, it's Feig nice. has a new thing coming out. Great. Yeah. That's what he came on to talk about. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, and he's lovely. That's airing this week. He's a good man. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a balance. And, and I mean, we had Brian Wilson did my show. Which How amazing. cool. Right. Just amazing. And, um, Willie, Willie's done it a few times. Like uh, a lot of great musicians, um, Noel Gallagher's done it, and uh, like Rakim, we've had some great rappers, DMC, Rakim, Ashanti did my show. Like, you know, it's nice that I can have on classic rockers and country people and mm -hmm. uh, hip hop artists, and then you know, like movie stars. And, right. You know. I, I think what's you know really uh, flattering is they're on because they want outreach from your audience as well. You know, it goes both ways. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 So you, you're very accomplished. And it's rare. Like, like Jeff Bridges came in and he only did our show. And so it's like, okay, we really owe it. We have to be really, really good to, to make Jeff Bridges not regret I mean, coming here. So. And what a compliment to you and, and what you've accomplished, you know, you've accomplished a lot. Well, that's nice of you to say. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, for me, I've had the experience of being interviewed many times by people who, uh, have a note card with questions a producer gave them that they never mm -hmm. looked at before I show up and they can't pronounce my last name. Uh, and I've just been in so many of the, you know, when you're touring and they say, Hey, you're going to do the local radio tour Good and morning radio. go to the clear channel outlet over here while you're in Possum Belly, Arkansas. And you, you do like a country station at a news station and a classic rock station. And they're all in the same building on the same floor. Right. And it, you know, and it's like, so Mr. Fuselage, what? Oh you know? God. And so, you know, I just kind of feel jet -lagged like. And you had to like work, you know, go through all these hoops. 
hoops to get there. And it's all and, an audition too. It's like, yeah. you know, I don't want them to think I'm another fucking Muppet. And I've done, you know, a lot of inane showbiz TV that I've tried to make smart. And, you know, so they're always very cynical coming in. And I mean, I learned this when I was very young and I had a chance to talk to George Harrison and my producer was wanting me to talk about the Beatles. And I knew if I talked about the Beatles, he'd get up and leave. So right. I asked him about God. Sure. And meditation. What happens when you die? The soul. And no one ever asked him about that, but I knew that's what he cared about. Right. Mm. And he, he stayed for four hours mm. and you know, it wound up being his last ever public performance. I gave him a guitar. He played four songs like, right. because I asked him about the stuff I knew he cared about. If I had asked him the stuff my producers wanted me to, it would have been a 10 minute soundbite and he would have left. Right. So that's, that's something I learned. The first time Shatner did my show, I, I just said to him like, you know what movie deserves a director's cut on Criterion Collection? Like what movie they should just spend the money uh, and that's Star Trek five, which is the one movie he directed. It's the worst movie ever made. It was a writer's strike at the time. So it's not all his fault, but I was like, if they could give you a budget and you could CGI and recut that whole thing. And oh my God, he, he went was off, so right? happy. Someone brought it what up. What right? a perfect beginning. And he opened up about so much personal stuff. Mm. And, and now he's done my show a few times because you know, they're famous and it's so boring to talk to some Muppet who just wants to be like, so vanilla, may I call you ice? Right. You know, mm. and nothing against Rick D's, but, um, <laughs> they, they, so, so, you know, I just try to make it, uh, I just try to make it interesting yeah, for them. Yeah. By being logical as well. Have you spoken to William Shatner post his trip to space? I have. I have. I'm, I want to listen to that episode. We just aired it last week. He has okay. a, he has a very, lovely new book out called boldly go which okay. is sort of his guide to saying yes to experiences and yeah he 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 talked all about it he, he he said it made him sad yes i mean he's a first off he's a strong guy he's 91 and the grip on this man right i mean mel brooks is 95 and has a fucking grip mm. uh, he's gonna be 100 but he, he said you know seeing the earth made him realize we're doing dick about climate change and yeah. it's really dangerous. And the quote, I just read all this so last riveting. week. It all came out last week that what, I don't know if you saw it, but on uh, like MSNBC ran a piece about Shatner's trip to space and what his experience was. We were just talking. Oh, yeah. He has a book out. So night. yeah, he's making the rounds. Mm -hmm. So he's making the he's rounds. He's back in the yeah, book. Yeah. Off of that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and still. he was really, really vocal I dig about still. it. That yeah. it made him sad that his view from being up there looking down at the planet made him realize that we're not treated, you know, I mean, it was a very, very vocal. Yeah, he's a pretty interesting guy. And, you know, and I get that a lot of folks don't like him and he addresses that in his new book. He addresses how George Takei and other people feel about him. But, um, you know, my dream is to see him play uh, the player king in a production of Hamlet. That's what oh, I want. Oh, like, that would like, be, like, be good. 91, but like, you know, Heston played that in Kenneth Branagh's version and just to see Shatner be a ham and do that kind of role. Like I just, I just kind that of feel like. That would be kind of perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's you know, it's great, but. I'm a maybe. fan of his. Yeah. I am as a person and as, as an artist. I mean, I, He's I never, an icon. when I was growing up, I didn't like doing celebrity interviews. I was always embarrassed. I was like, no, I want to be the person being interviewed. I don't right. want to do this. And then I realized, okay, uh, now I've got a kid and I'd better stop phoning this in and be good at this and learn what I'm doing. So it's been nice at Sirius XM. It's given me a chance to, you know, um, also what's nice about Sirius XM, unlike every TV job, I don't ever have to interview anybody I don't want. Mm. And that's the, oh, Really? They give you carte blanche? You when just I was do. a boy, VJ, I had to interview so many people I did not respect, could not stand, and it felt like just prostitution. And at SiriusXM, they let us play any music we want, say anything we want, and we turned down a lot of celebrities because I don't find most celebrities very interesting. Right. 
Well, that explains a lot because that your your program is really seems to be, and I'm just getting to know you, but it really seems to be the epitome of your voice. Oh, I don't. Well, of I don't know. you, I don't know. You know, maybe. I, so, I, I try to. I, I disagree, actually, because I try. That's nice of you to say, but I try to play to the room I'm in. Mm. And when we moved to nights, I was like, okay, the show I've been doing in the daytime doesn't work. And they said we want to have West Coast drive time presence for the election and the impeachment and all that. And I'm like, okay, so. Let's do, let's do politics, politics, politics. And then suddenly there's a pandemic. And suddenly uh, I threw the whole format out and uh, it was about like talking people off of ledges, doing therapy work. And we wound up making it like all pop culture call into what's the best 90s action film? What's the best opening band you ever saw? Tonight's question, what are your top five De Niro films? And the phones would light up. And I learned people would rather talk about their passions than their convictions. They'd oh, rather talk about the stuff sure. that turns them on than their deep held ideology. Oh, They'd, yeah. You know, like it was a political channel, political show. But when we made it about, you know, what was the first concert you ever saw? Boom, the phones would explode. Oh, sure. And, it's, and so we sort of like changed it to be a whole new kind of community at the end of the world. And, so. But still not synthetic. You know, like you do it still with your voice and you just, I try. You're, I try. yeah, no, no, you're, I'm and, a very and superficial person and I, by the way, Willie and, Nelson opening for Bob Dylan at the El Rey theater was probably the best opening act I've ever wow. seen next to Roy Orbison opening for the Eagles. Whoa. Hmm. Long run tour. 19. I never saw Roy Orbison live. I, I got to see Roy. I Orbison. saw Willie and Bob play uh, together at the baseball hall of fame. Oh, nice. Ago. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, Willie I Nelson. I first met Willie Nelson at Farm Aid in, in Kentucky when I was very, very young. I got to go in his trailer. Oh, fun. And I actually said, Willie, can we can we please move the, the bowl of weed out of the shot? <laughs> Willie doesn't have a marijuana problem. He has a marijuana practice. There you go. And, uh, He's a real hero. And I, I have nothing but respect for that guy. And he plays an 80-year-old guitar on and his, stage. And his, I love him. And his new music is so solid. Yeah. The album he had this year is beautiful. He's still writing good songs, putting out great albums. His son, Lucas, is a motherfucker. Lucas is a... Mm. His band, Promise of the Real, they're Neil Young's backup band now. And um, and I saw them open for you, too. No, right. the, Rolling, the Rolling Stones. And Lucas Nelson is a prince um, and sounds just like his dad. And uh, Willie put out the best weed song of all time with Chris Christopherson and Snoop Dogg. Roll me up and smoke. Oh, when yeah. I'm dying. When Absolutely. Dying. You know, he's he's someone who's 90 and he's still pushing himself in new directions. And he's never given a fuck about what anybody thinks or has to say about it. But he's him. a gentleman. He's always he's yeah. always a gentleman. Always. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love him. I do yeah, too. he's he's a, he's an icon and he's always evolving and it's just, you know, yeah. it's uh what we all aspire to to do as artists. You know, yeah. to be redundant, do the same thing, just like do new stuff. Like just, you know. I mean, people think, don't even think about Willie Nelson in that race. Yeah. Well, think about, saying, you look you at know? pictures of what he looked like back when he first started when, you know, Patsy Klein. He wrote how, crazy. He wrote crazy and Patsy Klein made that a hit. And he yeah. was like this clean cut young gentleman at the time. He put out a great album called Crazy, the early years. And it's just him, you know, like his George, early George Carlin phase. Um, and then seeing how he's evolved. And then honestly, his cover songs, like, He's put out covers of Coldplay songs. Right. It's beautiful. And, uh, you know, so I, I'll, I'll buy anything he does. Yeah, I, me too. And he's too. great live, too. He plays, he brings the whole family and he's great. Yeah, and he makes me every, I've seen Willie Nelson live three times. All three times I was moved to tears. Oh, it's great. Literally streaming down my face. And I, tears. I, I asked him to come on my show on 420 one time and he did it. He called in for 420. <laughs> <laughs> Look at, at that. 420. All right. 
That's fantastic. Well, uh, thank you for being interviewed. You know, <laughs> you, had, you had said that, you know, you didn't want I to said, do the I interviewing. Wanna, you want to be you interviewed. So lowering the bar you, enough to have me here. Thank you for being interviewed. Sarah, and, you know, it is a pleasure to drag uh, your show I, down to my I, level. Thank you. <laughs> Seriously, thanks I, for explaining. Thanks for mansplaining that. And uh, and by level, did, what he means, what is, he really means is, and I just want to say, you know, like be, be, before we, you know, as as we wrap, Whitney Houston really lip sync. Yeah, you got to watch the video. I think I'm just good. I it's can't. It's really her. She really sings. I it. never. It's really I, her singing. It. Okay, she belts the hell out of it. Okay, but she was lip syncing to herself I, in now, that football stadium. I, I don't think I will and ever that, be the same again. The so. only the only thing that can make it's it creepier favorite. that she released a single of the national anthem after we had a war against this little country that we allowed to happen right. is that she lip synced it and it still uh, became a nice single. Uh, but the, I'm but not sure I'll ever get over that. Go listen to George Carlin jamming in New York. That, all right. Um, yeah, all that, right. I mean, that's mm. just like, he, he comes out there and it's, it's everything Lenny Bruce was supposed to be and wasn't able to become. And right. I think that's his greatest album. And I think he, he thought it was his, Kelly thinks it's his best album too. It's funny. I, you know, I, I have all my LPs still to this day. I, I never got rid of them in all the moving. I kept them all. And I have all my Lenny Bruce albums wow. and I, I still have class clown and Toledo window box. Like wow. I, I do on LP. And, um, wow. when I, I would try to explain to people how good these records are. Yeah. Like pull them up, listen to them. They're life changing. Look, it's like Lenny Bruce is amazing. But when you listen to his records now, not all of it, but it's it's more archaeological right. than entertainment. You know, I, I, I'll always say you can play like the Christ and Moses bit for Christ anybody. And Moses right? Christ is and great. Moses play for anybody. Right. But like young people are gonna listen to that and it's almost impenetrable. Hey, come on, guy, guy yeah, yeah. Right. And it's it's it shows the peril of being too trendy in your speech and language because it doesn't mm. it doesn't age well. Mm -hmm. George Carlin's been dead fourteen years and his shit is still going Timeless. viral all yeah. the time. Timeless. Yeah. Because he 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 understood um evergreen current. You know, like, like, can you do current events material that won't be dated? You know, we can talk about uh, what Ron DeSantis did on abortion this week or just talk about abortion and, and you find a way to make it persevere. And, and Carlin did it. Well, yeah, I mean, and, people I mean, still have a problem with stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's great. And he loved the language and he, he, I mean, he's, he's my, he's, he's my everything. Like, you know, yeah. beyond, beyond Richard Pryor. I mean, he's just, he's just great. I mean, Bill Cosby is the greatest stand-up I ever saw, you know, like I, I, he's a shaman. I mean, like all that evil produces so much greatness, but, uh, but George Carlin's, you know, we my, were kind of talking prophet. about that, you know, separating Cosby. the artist from the art. That's our favorite and topic on the show because we're talking about fucking men. The Y chromosome is proof of damage and you have to, I mean, that's the whole fascinating thing about me too. And I'm a fan of the debate. Right. You know, me too. is not about canceling people. It's about saying you can't be famous anymore. You're not going to jail. You're not going to go broke. You can still do, you're not going to be famous. Oh, you can be fine. Anymore. You lose, lose that privilege, but hey, guess what? Not going to jail for it. Just put your special on your website. Yeah. But, but, but again, like <laughs> a, um, all those guys deserve a chance to try to redeem themselves. Absolutely. And some of them could be smart and do it. Most of them are not smart about it, but every guy deserves a chance to try. Our I attention agree. span is so long. And, I absolutely agree. And there are creative ways some of those men could have humbled themselves and come back interestingly. Yes. But to me, it's like John Lennon beat his first wife. Yeah. Do I have to throw out my Beatles albums? I mean, you know, mm. uh, Picasso was a monster to women. Should his art be devalued? I don't know. I'm a fan of the debate. You know, and, and so that's why with, with Me Too, I, I, it, Me Too is one of the most inspiring things to me because change is not going to come from politicians ever. 
it's going to come from people and it's going to come from us being sick of women being treated a certain way. Yeah. Or gay people being treated a certain way right. or trans kids being treated or immigrants or, or refugees. Or religious persecution yeah. or the color of your skin or whatever so it's, it's like, going to be. You know, yeah, everything's shitty. I know, but everything you show me that's shitty, I'll show you five areas where we're getting better. And I'm not an optimist. I'm a recovering cynic. And me too mm. is one of the reasons I, I believe in the species. I wish the women would hurry the fuck up and take over already. I'm getting impatient for right. that. But like, I wish the millennials would solve climate change and single payer healthcare already. Come on guys. But you know, we're alive in an amazing time. And, and don't forget what George said. You get a front row seat to the freak show if you're born in America. And so I, I think me too is an incredible revolution. I think it's great that men are terrified as someone who's had a lot of people he loved in his family and otherwise touched by abuse. It has never been harder for a man to interfere with a woman or a child than it is right now. Mm. And it's because we're alive at a time when we are moving from a culture of victims to survivors right. and people are coming out, including all the men who were abused as altar boys and have been shamed. And now they're not going to be quiet anymore. And it's amazing to me. It's just, you know, it's such a great, great time to be a person with empathy and see sinister shit doesn't function anymore in the society. So it's like, you're in, not going to In America, in yeah. American society, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's there's still a lot of sinister shit in control, don't yeah. get me wrong. You know, we have a lot of people way more upset by Colin Kaepernick's knee than Derek Chauvin's yeah. knee. Yeah, yes, right? yes. But uh, I, I mean, honestly, Me Too was something that just like, it was like marriage equality. It's like, oh, look, eventually morally- we catch up with ourselves in some ways and it never comes from leaders. Leaders catch up with movements of people, usually young people who are tired of the indecency of the previous generation. Yeah. And that, I mean, going back to the sixties is a perfect example of yeah. all through the sixties and the seventies and even the Reagan years in the eighties. And you know, when the, when the masses get angry, the elected officials ha don't have and much so of much an of that is because of artists. I mean, Mort Saul and, and Richard Pryor and, and Carlin, I mean, and Lenny Bruce, like, right these artists had such an impact on the culture. And I've, I've said to, to, to David Crosby many times and, and Graham, I, I think those guys helped end the Vietnam war. I think those, those guys, Dylan couldn't give a shit, but those guys helped end the right. Vietnam war. I mean, you can get guys like Delbert McClinton in there and you sure. know, there's, there's just, there is a list of artists and, when you hear people say, well, artists should just make art and shut up and not talk about, yeah. you know, blah, blah, policy. You, wrong. you know what Springsteen said about that? He said, what, I should let Ann, let Ann Coulter talk for me? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, artists well, have the public's it, ear. They're the ones who should be speaking up. Artists are it, why other countries like us. Yeah. Other countries don't like us for our policies. They like us yes. for our sports and our rap music yeah. and our movies. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, you know, thank you for saying that about, uh, you know, how it's very most difficult to interfere with women. I forget the exact quote, but it really made me think about the women of Iran. And, you know, let's just hope that, yeah. it fall, I'm, you know, and it, it, yeah. it's a little intense. How many times have we hoped a revolution was finally taking root in Iran? But again, you know, it's conservative religious governments. It doesn't matter what the religion is. This is what I learned, you know, in, in my experience with the Christians. It's, it's it, I love religious people, but it's fundamentalists. Fundamentalist Christians, Jews, mm -hmm, Muslims, uh -huh. the extreme white. And, and no matter what your religion is, if you're fundamentalist, you're its own religion. Correct. Fundamentalist Muslims have more in common with fundamentalist Christians than they do with liberal Muslims. And the majority of liberal and moderate Christians, Muslims, and Jews getting along fine, right the fuck now, not getting the ink, the assholes get the clicks, but it's the same traits. If you're a fundamentalist, doesn't matter, Hindu, Jewish, 
women are second class citizens. Right. Oh yeah. The more conservative your religion is, the more the women further down. Second class citizens. Uh, sex is icky. Okay for procreation. Right, second okay for procreation, but God forbid women enjoy Not themselves. For fun. Uh, 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 gay, bad. The more conservative any religion is, yeah, gay, bad. God creates them in every country that ever kept records. But oh, uh, you know, um, violence is okay if my side does it, but not yours, right? right? And other religions are fine, but I've got the one true one, and it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're Christian, Jewish, or Muslim. Fundamentalism is its own religion. They're all the same. Put them on an island and let them fight their wars with each other. Right. Agreed. Yeah. yeah that and would that's, be, that's that'd the be enemy. a good world. Yeah. Right there. I, I have this. I have this fight with Bill Maher so many times. I'm like, you're not mad about religion. You don't like fundamentalists. Mm. Religious people are nice. They're right. Even conservative Christians. Conservative Christians are often more liberal with kindness than than liberals. I mean, I don't like who they vote for, but you know, they're they're nice people. You know better than anybody. Judaism, Muslim, and Christianity are the three closest related religions we have. One was well, born yeah. out of the other, and the other yeah, shit it's basically all from the same story. A hundred percent. So when you take fundamentalists from each one of those, they're all deviating from the actual. Uh, nucleus of where they, you know, of where these religions are preaching from. Right now, someone's like, I notice you don't mention Scientology because we don't have fundamentalist Scientologists. <laughs> no, that's your impersonation. They're all of fundamentalists. <laughs> <laughs> but they chain smoke and get a lot done in a day. So there's that. John, I don't know how to thank you for coming in today. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> he somehow found the time and uh yeah this Thank was you. it was a lot of fun sharing a bottle with you honestly i it's, hope we it's, do it again I, i'm so happy for the two of you uh, i think you're both such great artists and to see that you have this this happiness together and have made each other so happy is just uh it does my heart a lot of good and i can't wait to see Aww. what you guys do next thank oh, you for thank you john thank you for uh giving me a reason to, to come over here to silver lake Today. And uh, <laughs> I haven't been silver like in two years. Uh, look, I, I've been it's cool, I've right? Been trapped it's on the East Coast. I've, you know how good it is to be traveling. I've taken right my in. I've taken my son to Disneyland three times this year. Well, <laughs> I he's lucky. We have to go. I, I hope you make it over. To I, I hope your son's wish comes true. And uh, oh, he and wants to move back. Could, so uh, we, we'd love to. Yeah, we'd love well, to you'd have be you a tremendous here. asset. That's for sure. And uh, so our listeners can find you pretty much everywhere. I have a podcast now. They've Sirius XM after years of finally letting us do a daily podcast which is like the highlights of last night's show so it's our monologues and our interviews and usually a couple of uh, calls and that's the John Fugelsang podcast and uh, and if you're around Saturday the 22nd the Sexy Liberal Tour on uh, meathook.live Wonderful John thank you thank you and Thanks. thank you all for tuning in to Drinking During Business Hours Sante <laughs> <laughs>